Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our sermon text this morning comes from Luke chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 22 through 35. These are the words of God. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at... and. And Joseph and his mother, Christ's mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you and worship this morning. We thank you for your word which you've given to us we, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to receive what you have for us. Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word, that you would reveal to us the thoughts of our hearts, and in doing so, conform us to Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as this is the Christmas season, I wanted to, uh, for our sermon text, wanted to go to a Christmas passage and while this uh, particular passage deals with things that happen after the birth of Christ, uh, probably about a month or so, a little more than a month after the birth of Christ, I think it is still particularly fitting during the season of Advent to look at this story, the story of Simeon, the story of Jesus being brought to the temple, because it really does uh, hinge upon the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And that's what Advent is about. As we, in this season of Advent, we look forward to Christmas, um, not because Jesus is coming again in a new way this Christmas, but because we are remembering, along with all of God's people throughout history, the anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah. And this is particularly what we see going on with Simeon in this story. Here in this passage, Luke tells us of a saint who is waiting to see the promised Messiah and who testified to and witnessed his actual coming and did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we dive into this text, I encourage you to have your Bibles open and turn to this passage. Let me briefly go through and, and give a brief summary of this passage that we just read. There's roughly three main sections here. The first section is verses 22 and 24, or 22 through 24. And here we see that after Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple according to the law. And this comes up time and time again in this short passage. There's this, these references to according to the law, that things were done according to the law of the Lord. You'll see that, um, and, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And when they come to the temple... According to the law, they are there met by a faithful man named Simeon, who had been waiting for the Messiah. 
He had been led there by the Holy Spirit, who had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the coming Messiah. Verses 25 through 27. Simeon then takes Jesus into his arms, and he blesses God and rejoices that he has seen God's salvation to the world in this little baby. Verses 28 through 32. This is the song of Simeon, which we sing often, particularly at the end of our psalm sings. If you come to those, you're familiar with that, uh, that hymn and familiar with those words. Joseph and Mary then reverently contemplate Simeon's words. I think that's helpful to point out when it says that Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. I don't think that there it's saying that they marveled as in they were astonished at what was said of him. Um, They had already uh, seen an angel come and reveal to them who this baby was. The shepherds had come attesting that they had seen an angel saying who this baby was. But they're marveling in a sense of, I think, um, in reverence and with, with godly fear contemplating these words that Simeon has said. He's given this prophecy about this child and has, um, and has praised God and blessed God in the presence of seeing the Messiah. And so they are contemplating Simeon's words here. And in the context of this, he blesses them. He prophesies specifically to Mary what Christ is destined for. He says that Christ was born for a particular purpose. And the consequence of this, of this destiny of Christ, would be that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Verses 33 through 35. Now, if you back up to um, even before this passage that we just looked at, verse 21, it says that when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Right from the beginning of this section, Luke uh, identifies and points out in many different ways the fact that Jesus uh, comes under the law. That he comes and he's born into the world, but he does so particularly being born under the law of Moses. He was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. This is what Moses, uh, what the Old Testament instructs God's people to do. Then in verse 22, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed... Luke, again, doesn't assume that you know, that the readers know the law of God, that they, that they know this, um, the Old Testament law of Moses, but he points out time and again the purification that, she, that Mary needed to go through in that old system in order to then come into the temple. It was according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, he uh, says again, as it is written in the, law of the, in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Not only does Mary have certain things that, have, that she needs to go through and certain time that has to pass in order for her to be purified to come into the temple, Jesus being born, the act of being born and being a male child means that there are certain things that have to happen for him to come before the Lord. And the firstborn in, the, in Jewish homes would also particularly be dedicated to the Lord um, and would be redeemed, bought back from the, sort of bought back from the Lord so they wouldn't be sacrificed to the Lord. Um, If you recall, in the Old Testament system, when you have a firstborn of the flock, what happens to that firstborn? He's sacrificed. And God makes a provision in his law saying that, that the same is true for the firstborn of families, but God abhors human sacrifice. And so instead of the young uh, children being taken to the temple and being sacrificed, as would happen in so many pagan cultures, they instead would be bought back from the Lord um, and redeemed in this way. Luke again says um, that they go to the temple in verse 24 and they offer a sacrifice again according to what is said in the law of the Lord. 
So over and over, Luke does not assume that the reader knows the law, but he makes very clear that Jesus, from the very beginning, from his birth, fulfilled the requirements of the law. Jesus came in under the law of Moses. Christ was born into and brought under this law, and Paul especially will point this out later on in Romans and in Galatians. And this is incredibly important for us as we understand who Jesus was and what he came to do. Christ was born in this way so that he could come for us by taking on sinful flesh. Jesus needed to become man and subjecting himself to the law. This was so that he could actually be the substitute for us when he took on himself the sins of the world and the wrath of God. Jesus needed to actually be human in order to actually, take on, in order to actually represent us. Um, I heard recently uh, another preacher talk about this um, in connection with the definition of Chalcedon, which we recited in, uh, earlier in the service. Um, if God had decided to simply sacrifice an angel, it would not have counted for us. An angel does not represent the, uh, the, the people of God or does not resent mankind like a person does. Adam was the first man, and as such, he represented all of mankind. And so in order for man to be saved, another man must, uh, must die in his stead, must represent mankind in his place. The only way that Jesus could be the substitute for us is if he actually took on sinful flesh. Paul identifies this very particularly in Romans, 8, chapter, or Romans chapter 8. If you turn there with me, we'll mention this passage a couple different times. Romans chapter 8, I'll start in verse 1 for a little bit of context. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So being under the Spirit has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. What was it that the law could not do? The law could not make people holy. It was a standard by which people were to live in order to be holy, but the law itself could not make people holy. And because of man's sinful nature, none of us were able, would have been able to, um, on our own, present ourselves as holy before God. And so God did what the law could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the very similitude of, like, of sinful flesh. On account of sin. And so, therefore, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There's a, the law of God is a standard, is a standard of holiness, a standard of, of following God that none of us on our own can keep. None of us can match up to what God has laid out for us to do. And so God had to fulfill the law himself, and he did so by sending his son to die in our stead, to be that sacrifice, that we, to, to pay that penalty that we deserved because of our falling short of God's law. So Jesus had to become man in order to be that substitute. Similarly, if he did not fully and actually uh, uh, keep the requirements of the law, 
then he could not impute to us the righteousness that God requires of man. It's not only that Jesus needed to be man in order to be our representative, he also needed to fulfill those requirements that God had set out, that standard that God had set. Jesus needed to keep the requirements of the law perfectly in order to obtain the righteousness of the law that he could then give to us. We can't keep the law on our own. We can't attain to that righteousness on our own. But Christ did and gives that to us. And so this is, I think, what, what Simeon sees, part of what Simeon understands later when he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. When he's praising God as he has the child in his arms, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, speaking to the Father. What is this salvation? It's the salvation that the Messiah has come, who would keep the law perfectly, who would represent man and be the substitute for man and deliver God's people from their bondage. God sent his son to take on flesh and to come under the law in order to free man from the curse of of the law. And because of this, we can say with Paul that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only way of salvation, the only way to be without condemnation is to be in Christ, to be following Christ because he is the substitute for us. So this is, I think, important to see that I, I think Luke has this very much in mind as he's writing this out. Because he specifies these are things that, that happened to Jesus and that his parents did according to the law. To keep the law of God. Jesus came as a man. He was born, but he also came under that law in order to fulfill it. And so having come under this law, he's brought to the temple. And there... We meet a man named Simeon. Who was this Simeon? We're told very little about him in the text. All that we are told is that he was just and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and that he was endowed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is a, a Jewish tradition that says that this Simeon was the son of Hillel, who was a Pharisee and was a, a prominent teacher of the Pharisees, and particularly of a, of a particular um, uh, sect of the Pharisees or, or, or segment of the Pharisees. They would follow his particular teachings. And um, possibly also then, if, if this is that Simeon, he's also the father of Gamaliel, who shows up in Acts later on as one of, the, one of the respected teachers in Israel. So it's possible that this Simeon is a Pharisee and is connected to these prominent teachers, is the son of a prominent teacher and a father of a prominent teacher in the Bible stories. We don't know for sure, but that's possible. If so, it stands out that Simeon, this Simeon has great faith and is surrounded even though he is a Pharisee. And um, we know Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees later on in his life. And it stands out here that if, if Simeon is a Pharisee, he is a faithful Pharisee, a Pharisee who appropriately looked for the coming of the Messiah. But all we know about him from this text and, and from Scripture is that he was just, devout, waiting for the consolation, and had the Holy Spirit. Simeon was no doubt just and devout or righteous and devoted to God in his pious observance of the law. No doubt that was part of why Luke calls him just and devout. But I think it is very striking that Luke ties his righteousness, his justness, and his devotion, particularly to his yearning for the consolation of Israel. Simeon's, uh, 
Simeon's righteousness and his devotion was not, Luke doesn't highlight that it was because he kept the law, although I think we can assume that he was a follower of God faithfully. But rather, it was primarily in his hope, his trust, and his faith in God's promises. What had God promised? These were promises that God, had, that, that God had given to his people and had been passed on among the faithful for generations. Since the very beginning, promises were given to Adam and Eve about the Messiah who would, who would crush the head of the serpent. Promises were given to Abraham that through his seed the nations of the earth would be blessed. Promises were given to Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Isaiah and the other prophets. Promises about this Messiah to come were given over and over and over again throughout history, through centuries. And now we come to this point in, in time where Simeon sees these promises fulfilled, at least the beginning of, these, of, of the fulfillment. God had waited a long time, but in Simeon's day, the fullness of time had come. But think about this for a moment. God had waited for centuries... 4,000 years or so to bring about the coming of the Messiah. 4,000 years. The Messiah comes and not everything is fixed. There's this big moment where Jesus is brought into the temple. Simeon sees, says that I, my eyes have seen your salvation. It's not for another 30 years till Jesus, is, till Jesus begins his earthly ministry as we have it recorded. There, there's still more waiting that has to happen. And then Jesus comes, he begins his earthly ministry, everything goes wrong, he's crucified, and he dies. And then we have the glorious story that we know that he was raised from the dead, and then everything is set right in one sense, but here we are. Are things all set right? There's still sin. There's still death. There's still contention and striving. There's still fights and wars. There's still pain and sickness. What is God doing? God had waited 4,000 years to bring this Messiah, and then he comes, and God doesn't fix everything with a snap of his fingers at that moment of incarnation. God seems to like the waiting game. He waits to bring the Messiah. He waits for that Messiah to be that sacrifice. Then he ascends into, he's raised from the dead and he ascends into heaven. And then Jesus sends his people out to do the work of Christ in the world, to bring all the nations to him. And Christ, working through them, waits. Waits for all of the nations to be brought to him. And we wait with him. Simeon and the remnant of faithful believers were waiting for the light to come. God had promised that he would send a deliverer, that he would send a suffering servant who would die, who would be the light to the world. And they were waiting. And for us, Jesus has come. We're not waiting for the coming of the Messiah like Simeon was, because he has come. But there is still a waiting for this fullness to be achieved, for the full redemption Paul says, we turned earlier to Romans chapter 8. I'll turn there again later on in chapter 8. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings 
of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. We are still suffering. There's still sufferings in our time, but they don't compare to the glory that is coming. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Even the created order was subjected to sin, was subjected to the brokenness of sin. Because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. All of creation groans and waits for the redemption. Things are not right. It's not all, it's not all done. God is not done fixing this world. God is not done setting things to rights, but he has set them all to rights in a greater sense. Everything has been set to rights. Everything is set on a trajectory where it will all be made right, but God likes the waiting game. And so I think as we look at this passage where Jesus comes to the temple and Simeon, this man who had waited and waited to see the consolation of Israel, to see the coming of the Messiah, I think we can learn from Simeon here. We're not waiting in the same way that Simeon was waiting, but we can learn from him. How did Simeon wait? He waited and he was just and he was devout by clinging to God's promises. What has God said? Brett talked earlier in uh, the corporate prayer time. That we're to turn to God's word. We're to believe God's word. We're not to be ashamed of God's word. Why? Because he is God. Because he is our father. Because he is a good father. And he has made promises to you. Does he keep his promises? Did he keep his promise to Simeon? Did he send the Messiah? If God was willing to keep his promise to send a deliverer to his people by sending his own son to die, is he able to keep his promises to you? How do we wait? For whatever it is we're waiting for, whatever we're waiting for God to fix, whatever we're waiting and pleading with God to bring resolution to, can we wait by faith Clinging to God's promises. Simeon goes on and, and he takes up the child in his arms and he declares, praising God and blessing God, he declares that his master is releasing him in peace. The word there that's the Lord is not the, the more common word for Lord in the New Testament. The Greek is you know, that we that normally is used as kurios and, and often refers to God himself and specifically to Jesus. But it's not that word. It's the same word that in, in those times a slave would have used of his master. Master, now you are letting your slave depart in peace. That's what Simeon says. He sees God as his master and God is now releasing him because God has kept his word to him. Simeon has seen the Christ, and having seen the Christ, Simeon is ready to face even death. Death is uh, uh, um, described as the final enemy, the last enemy 
that we face. And I think there is, there is great um, carnal reason to fear death. It is, it is an enemy, and we should not be afraid to say so. Christians especially should not be afraid to say that death is an enemy. But at the same time, Simeon turns and he faces death, and he's ready for it, cheerfully, because he had seen the Christ. In the infant Jesus, Simeon could see God's plan of salvation fulfilled, and this was enough for Simeon to face even death itself in cheerful peace. John Calvin writes about this, comparing our situation to Simeon's, how much more abundant materials of lasting peace are now furnished to us, who have the opportunity of beholding our salvation altogether completed in Christ. Simeon is able to face death without fear and is ready to depart in peace because he had seen Jesus as a baby. We know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus lived, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, that he was raised from the dead, that he defeated sin and death at the cross, and that he now reigns physically as a person in heaven, reigns over all of the earth. All Simeon had was this infant This impotent, drooling baby. And in that, because of that, he had great peace and great courage to face the final enemy. The sight of Jesus, not the physical sight like Simeon had, or not merely that physical sight, but the sight of faith. This sight of Christ is the source of peace and courage for the Christian. God has set before us many things to walk in. In Ephesians, Paul says that you've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves. We're not saved by our works, but God has set before us many works to walk in, many things for us to do, many paths for us to walk down. In Hebrews, it says that we have a race to run, That is set before us. We run this race. We walk down this path. We do the works that God has called us to do. Looking to Christ. Looking with eyes of faith. Like Simeon looked. Did Simeon have to have faith. In order to look at this baby. And see the consolation of Israel. Simeon. You couldn't just look at the baby. And just at the baby. And see God's salvation there. The the baby had to grow. Took 30 years. The baby had to die. And he had to be raised from the dead. Did Simeon have faith to see the consolation of Israel? It was only through eyes of faith that he could see this. We live in a world that is plagued by anxiety and fear. But Jesus promises peace and comfort. I want to turn to just a couple passages here as, as we consider this. Psalm 94, verse 19. If, if you are the sort of person that is plagued by fear, plagued by anxiety, given to these things, that that's your natural bent, then these verses are for you. 
And, and I would like you to consider that they're for you in light of Christmas. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to save his people from their sins, but that means so much more than just being made right with God, as if that wasn't enough. God has made us right with him, but because of that, we have great peace and great courage. Jesus promises peace and comfort. Psalm 94, verse 19. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Read the rest of the psalm and consider all that the psalmist has there. It's, it's wonderful food for your soul. But hang on that verse for a moment. In the multitude of my anxieties within me. The psalmist has anxieties. He has things to worry about. He has things that really bother him, that really hang over his head, that really seem to crush him with their weight. It's not wrong to have anxieties. You're not in sin if you have things that cause you to worry. You're in sin if you don't deliver those things over to Christ. It's not wrong to live in a world full of anxieties and full of cares. That's the world that God has placed you in. But what do we do with that? In the multitude of my anxieties within me, in the midst of all the things that seem to crush me, your comforts delight my soul. Jesus promises peace and comfort. Jesus also promises courage and strength. Turn back if you're still in the Psalms to Psalm 27. Children, do you get scared at night? Are you scared as you go to bed? Do you wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and you're terrified? Adults, I know you do too. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What are you afraid of? I, I don't ask, are you afraid? I ask, what are you afraid of? Whom shall you fear? The Lord is the strength of your life. The Lord is your light and your salvation. The psalm ends in the same way. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Did Simeon wait? Did Abraham wait? And Isaac and Jacob, Moses and David, the prophets, John the Baptist... Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Jesus promises peace and comfort. And Jesus promises courage and strength in the midst of any of your anxieties, in the midst of any of your fears. He promises this to all those that look to him. Psalm, or Isaiah 45, verses 22 the Lord says to the people, look to me, all you nations, 
and be saved. Jesus promises peace and courage to all of those that look to him. Just as Simeon had seen this light, and so would all the nations. This is the promise of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came and he died to set you free from your sins. So that they, have no, they no longer have a claim on you. And that includes those crippling fears. That includes those crushing anxieties. Jesus promises freedom from those things. Not that, they, not that they magically go away and that life is just easy, but rather that those things don't define you. That those things don't own you. This is the promise, not just to Simeon, not just to the Jews, but to all the world. And this is why Simeon identifies Jesus, agreeing with the prophets who had said this, that Jesus would come to be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, all the nations. The Lord says, look to me, all you nations, and be saved. Jesus is the light. That's why we have lights on our Christmas trees, lights on our houses, lights in our homes, particularly in this dark season. Because Jesus is the light to all of the nations. Simeon also prophesies to Mary about what Jesus had come to do. Because of Christ, the world would be turned upside down. And Christ himself would be resisted. Simeon says, the Christ is, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The fall and rising of many. Things are going to be flipped around. They're going to be turned upside down. The world is going to be in an uproar because of Christ. And Jesus was destined for a sign that will be spoken against. It's not as though Jesus was going to come into this world and be accepted by everyone and warmly welcomed into Jerusalem and warmly set up as king and warmly rule. God wasn't going to fix everything just like that. No, Jesus was going to come, things were going to be turned upside down, and the Messiah was going to be resisted. And this is true still in our own day across the world. Jesus is still that sign, and he is still spoken against. It would even cost Mary herself dearly. A sword will pierce through your own heart also. Not exactly the sort of thing to say at a baby shower. Jesus is brought into the temple. They're celebrating the birth of the Messiah. A sword's going to pierce through your heart also, Mary. In God's providence, though, can, can you imagine how this prepared Mary? She, she was there on the mount when Jesus was flogged, nailed to a cross, lifted up, suffering and bleeding and crying out for hours. Her son. God prepared her for this. But the purpose of all of this, the purpose of the tumult, the rising and falling, the purpose of 
the Messiah being spoken against, the purpose of the sword that pierces Mary's own heart is so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Christ's coming and his reign and his gospel is salvation. But it brings division and it brings strife with the unbelieving world. When the thoughts of men are revealed, it becomes evident whether they are being drawn to Jesus or being driven away from him. When the thoughts of men are revealed, when the light comes, when the light shines in people's hearts, when the light shines in those dark places in your heart, what's revealed is, are you pursuing Christ or are you hiding from him? Are you pursuing Christ or are you being driven from him? Jesus is the light and you either come to the light or you shrink from the light. There's no neutral stance. There is, I think, an, an odd application of this. We are told in Scripture many times and in different ways that the, body, that the people of God are the body of Christ. That you are the body of Christ in your relationships with one another. Uh, husband and wife represent Christ in the church. There's a revelation of the gospel in that uh, family structures and the way that families relate together and individuals relate together within the church are the body of Christ. If Christ is light and in his coming, the thoughts of our hearts are revealed, this makes a lot of sense to me why when a single man and a single woman get married, one of the things that happens is they realize that they're not nearly as perfect as they thought they were. I remember when I was in college, a professor saying that I thought I was a really good person, and then I got married. And then I started having kids. When you introduce new relationships, especially relationships within the church, into your life, what's happening? The light of Christ is shining. You're, being, you're partaking in the body of Christ. He is light. What happens when you enter into the light? All the gunk is revealed. Those relationships that you enter into are dangerous if you have things to hide. When you enter into these relationships in the body of Christ, your real person is revealed more and more. Jesus was assigned to the world through his death on the cross and resurrection and ascension Paul says in Galatians 3 that he was cursed for our sake, just as it says in the law. But he was raised from the dead, delivering us from the curse of the law, so that he might extend salvation apart from the law to the Gentiles. Jesus is the sign that salvation comes through Christ alone and through no other Savior. And as this only Savior, he is He, in his light and by his word, reveals the thoughts and desires of our hearts. Jesus exposes you. Jesus' word exposes you. It exposes you, first and foremost, to yourself. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And what's, what's really funny is that we think that 
we can hide things from him. When, when the light comes and you're exposed, we think, oh no, I'm going to hide that. And, and you can't. Nothing is actually hidden from him, but we act like we can hide it because we don't like the light. But the fact that the light's not, that we think we're blocking the light and that we're shielding God's sight from our sin, God's sight from our thoughts and our desires, it doesn't matter what we think. Nothing is hidden from him. God sees it all. When his light comes, it's primarily revealing those things in the dark to you. God's laying it out before you. When the light of the gospel shines, sins, sinful desires, sinful thoughts, sinful actions, sins in your past, and all of your idols are exposed. And so the question is, what will you do? What will you do? This is, um, this is true as an evangelistic gospel. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of Christ is shining right now. His word is being preached. He is being preached to you. God says, look to him and be saved. But when that light shines, what will you do? You are exposed. And this is true for Christians too. Those who actually are following Christ because so often we, we, we take our life in Christ and we say, I'm going to live like Christ over here, but this part is mine. This part of my life is mine and no, Lord, you can't have it. I love this too much. These sinful thoughts, these sinful actions, these sinful desires are mine and you can't have them. But the light is shining. You can't hide from him. And when the light shines and it reveals those dark things, it reveals, are you actually following Christ? Or are you being driven from him? Will you shrink from the light? Will you turn back to the darkness? Will you cover your sins and hide your idols? Or will you cry out in repentance? Turn to the Lord looking to him because he's the only one that can save you from that bondage will you seek him to cover your sins stop covering them yourselves you're really bad at it stop covering your own sins turn to Christ and ask him to cover those sins Will you confess Jesus alone as Lord? And if you confess that Jesus alone is Lord, then you are confessing that Jesus alone is Lord of everything. Every dark corner of your heart, every hidden passage in your mind, you're giving it all to Him, holding nothing back. And when you do, you will see. You will see the salvation of God. You will have great peace that passes all understanding. You will have great courage so that you can wait on the Lord and fear nothing. The light is shining. Do you see? In order to say, let me depart in peace, like Simeon says, we must be able to say, my eyes have seen your salvation. Do you see? 
If we can say that, then we can have great courage and great peace in facing whatever God has placed in front of us, even unto death. And of course, even to more waiting. More waiting on the Lord. Jesus came and he began to shake the world and to unsettle the world and to reveal the thoughts of the hearts of many and he continues to do so. But he does so now as king. He's already delivered his people from their bondage, from the curse of the law, and he's already obtained the salvation for all of those who were far off that he is going to draw near. He has obtained it already. Salvation is in Christ alone, by his grace alone. So look to him and be saved. Christian and unbeliever alike, look to him. Fix your eyes on Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news, the promise of peace, the promise of courage, the promise of deliverance from our sin. God, deliver us from our sin. We can't. And we acknowledge this before you. And we thank you for this season that we celebrate year after year where we're particularly reminded of this. That Jesus came to, and he took on sinful flesh and fulfilled the law so that he might die for us. Help us to believe this. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>